Hey everybody, welcome to Bringing Meditation to Life, a podcast in which we immerse ourselves in the intersection of meditation and everyday life, in which we look at the ways meditation illuminates and deepens our experience of daily living and the ways life itself does the same for our practice. I'm your host, Neil McKinley. So welcome, everybody. Welcome to the Other Voices aspect of this Bringing Meditation to Life podcast. This is an opportunity for us to learn a little bit about what practice and what life looks like for other meditators I know. And today, it's our good fortune to have Eric Manning with us. It's our good fortune to be able to sit back and listen as Eric shares a little bit of his experience with us. So welcome, Eric, and thanks for being here. Thanks for doing this. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, so why don't we just dive in? Can you let us know a little bit about you, what your life looks like? Well, here's a very brief history. Uh, I was born in 1940, and when I was in grade five, I was standing at the bookshelf at the back of my classroom, and I was staring at a book which had a picture on the cover of two men up in the Arctic peering at a box that had a funny-looking antenna on it. And one of my little classmates, Gwen, came up and said, my daddy has one of those at home. So later on, she took me home to see it. It was his amateur radio station. The tubes were all, it was all tubes in those days, glowing beautiful colors, and there were voices coming out of it of other human beings. So I was just fascinated right then. So four or five later, uh, years later, her father entertained me every Sunday at his kitchen table where he taught me electronic theory, and I got my amateur radio license in 1954. So that explains a great big chunk of my life right there, because, of course, the same electronics that makes radios work makes computers work, and you can see where this is going. Uh, the next interesting thing that happened was we had mandatory military training in those days because we were just three years past the Korean War. Uh, and so I was in the Army cadets. And in 1957, I was selected for the National Army Cadet Camp in Banff. So after it was over, I went with a friend to British Columbia, and I just absolutely fell in love. The sky wasn't white gray, as it always is back there. It was dark blue. We got a lift down the Malahat with a trucker, and I just couldn't believe it. Then I remember coming around the corner and looking at the Empress, the cor corner of the Empress, and looking at the legislature at night. And I thought, oh, I got to get back here. So that had been a little worm had been in my brain ever since. The next thing of note is one summer I was working at a life insurance company, and they got their first computer. And in order to get it, they removed the roof of the building and they installed the computer with a crane. It had less, much less power than my watch has today, far less. And it was fixed by opening a door and walking into it. <laughs> so, and I thought, my gosh, that's electronic. That's kind of like radio. And I understand this stuff. So skipping ahead, I went to the University of Illinois in Urbana 
for my PhD in computer engineering. And if you saw 2001, A Space Odyssey, a HAL computer, as he was being shut down, said, I was born in Urbana, Illinois. Yes, that's the place, <laughs> my alma mater. Uh, we plan to stay in the U.S., but the social conditions there caused a great powerful urge to return home. So I was hired as a prof at the University of Waterloo in 68. Uh, a lot of time taken up by work, but I always saved weekends for my little son. And in 86, my former boss at Waterloo, Howard Petch, who was then the president at UVic, told me they were starting an engineering school. So, hearkening back to what happened to me in 1957, I immediately jumped at it. I thought, sooner or later, I'll get the chance. So, I've been here ever since. I'm still active in amateur radio contesting. I'm also a car nut. I have a wonderful partner and a great relationship with my son who visited BC and decided to move to, and with my granddaughter. So that's my story. And I'm wow. saying <laughs> Fascinating. It's, it's like there's this thread that has just been yeah. with you since how old were you? Oh, maybe, um, oh, at public when, school. When you saw that first box. Yeah, eight. <laughs> wow. Isn't it interesting how that is so often the case? There are these threads in each of our lives that just... Yes wind their way through forever yes oh wow never left and electronics has been one of yours yes <laughs> and so i mean this raises an interesting question i mean the the question that's in my mind now is meditation where did meditation come from how does meditation find itself into this weave that you've just described uh it began in 1975 with one of my postgraduate students at Waterloo and it attended a Hindu yogic ashram in Northern California, Napa Valley. It sounded interesting. So the next time he went, I went with him. We were taught very basic meditation techniques, Hindu yogic style, and I found it interesting and valuable. After I got home, I tried to keep the, the practice, but the all-important support from the ashram stopped, so so did my practice. Now, fast forward about 20 years, uh, I saw an ad in our local newspaper in Victoria. A psychology professor at the University of Victoria had gotten funding to explore the effect of meditation on Alzheimer's disease, and she needed subjects for her experiment, so I volunteered. So she divided us, according to good statistical technique, two groups. Both groups were extensively tested for perception, dexterity, et cetera. And we all got MRI brain scans, which she managed to arrange at uh, Jubilee Hospital. The control group, but nothing else. But luckily, I was in the group who was taught meditation. I thought she might import a Tibetan monk or something, but she taught us herself. And... I was required to practice daily, which I did. Then they did the tests again, including the brain scans. And the lobe of the brain that's responsible for happiness and inner peace had actually significantly grown in the meditator group. Hmm. Literally seeing a difference in the brain. So the experiment ended, and I asked her where I could find a meditation group in our city. And she led me to you and your Tibetan Buddhist community, Sangha, which I joined and have continued with ever since. 
And it's interesting that by chance, I followed a similar path to the Buddhas. He was raised as an Orthodox Hindu, but he became aware of the many sources of suffering, samskara, which Hinduism had nothing to say about. So he created a new religion, which unlike all the other major religions, does not deal with the afterlife or any other supernatural idea. So Buddhism is solely about living this life right here on this earth. Interesting. I mean, one of the things that's coming up as you tell that story is right back at the beginning, you talked about this student who introduced you to this ashram and it sounded interesting. So you went. Yep. And that, to me, connects with, you know, the the, the interest that uh, was piqued when you saw that box. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. also yeah. The, the interest that was piqued when you saw the ad for the study you were part of. That's right. I mean, the word curiosity comes up a lot. That's right. In my mind. Is, is curiosity a big part of your I think so. meditation? Yeah, for example, uh, the student and I were both auditing a course on comparative religions at Waterloo at the time, just mm-hmm. going for the fun of it. Yeah. So how yeah. then? How does med- how does curiosity show up in your meditation life these days? Then, what um, role does that play? You know, these days, not not so much that I can identify. Well, no, I'm curious to see what the effects will be. And I'm curious to see both what it'll do to my uh, behavior when I'm not meditating. And um, also, uh, it's interesting to try to see how what I do in the rest of my life affects my meditation practice. Yeah, that's actually a lot of curiosity to my mind. It's true. It's true. And, and I think a lot of people have those same questions. And, you know, why don't we, you know, kind of turn our attention in this direction a little sure. bit. So what what do you see as the, you raised a number of different situations here. What do you see as the effects of meditation when you're actually engaging it? Oh, well, first of all, why do I do it? Well, I do it because it's what I do, period. That's <laughs> 45 minutes a day, right after breakfast. So I've now passed through the initial stage of experiencing relaxation and a little peace and quiet from all the chatter in the head. And I've now arrived at Vipassana, which is roughly what the Christians would call the still small voice of conscience. Mm -hmm. That means whenever I feel like doing something, if it's not okay with my understanding of Buddhism, I know it. So I may go ahead and do it, but I know I'm doing I'm being I'm doing bad things. And how do you know it? Um, I it just comes to me. Say, no, I shouldn't be doing this thing. Well, I don't care. I'm going to do it anyways. Well, you shouldn't <laughs> so, have been doing that. So would you maybe use the words? I mean, I'm just trying to think of how we might, if we were sitting down with a friend at coffee, how we might talk about it. Would you talk about it like an inner voice or intuition or grace or? I. I just know. Just like, know. I, yes. It's just, there it is. And you see that knowing as coming out of your meditation practice. Ab- no question. Can you no make question. that link for us? Can you explain to us how how meditation le- le- has led you there? 
yeah, I don't quite know how, but I just kept doing my meditation, starting with five minutes a day. And like I say, in fairly short order, I started to notice relaxation. And then I eventually started to see the little gaps in the chatter in my head. And I got to the point where I could go many minutes without any chatter in my head. And then one day I just woke up and there it was. Vipassana. <laughs> and I don't think it'll ever go away, <laughs> for better or worse. Oh, that's a beautiful description of the trajectory, though. You know, yeah. doing the practice, tapping yeah. into relaxation gaps in your inner chatter and then this experience of i'm not going to use words i'm going to i'm not going to import words but your experience of just knowing yes and is yeah. that just knowing helpful in your your day-to-day -day life is it something that stays on the cushion is it something oh, that no 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 it's there all the time yeah can you Especially talk about in my day-to-day -day life because that's where i'm likely to do the quote bad unquote things <laughs> <laughs> so can you give us an example you know so what does that look like so oh sure um uh here in victoria at the best of times driving a car is really a challenge and now with all of the social unrest and the covid and um inflation and uh people not having enough to eat and homeless people um there's a lot of very bad behavior on the streets so uh what I do, rather than participate in this, which would just make it worse, is I just start breathing. Because it, as we all know, uh, breathing is a very important aspect of meditation. And one of the things it really does for you, it makes you very conscious of the different ways of breathing and how they can affect you. So I just kind of drop down into my abdomen and I breathe nicely. Uh, for a couple of minutes, and then I'm able to be rational instead of yelling and screaming back. Hmm. Can you flesh out what rational looks like instead yeah. of? Yeah, I ignore the bad behavior. If somebody cuts me off, instead of shaking my fist at them, I just ignore it. Mm -hmm. uh, also, um, if somebody is trying to get out into the street with a car, I will stop and let them come out especially if there's a big long line behind me. So I actually find myself trying to assist the other drivers to get through their, their, their day. So this is interesting. I mean, so here you are, you've been meditating for a while. You're very regular in the in your meditation. Oh, yeah. Your curiosity has led to a pretty clear understanding of what it offers in your life. And you're out on the street driving your car and it's not that you are, from your reports, it's not like you're a void. You don't have feelings and emotions. Those feelings come oh, up and you you want to shake your fist. Oh, absolutely. But what's meditation, it sounds like what you're saying is what meditation has offered you is a little bit of space to see that shake fisting impulse. That's right. And do something different. I'm glad you mentioned the word space. Yeah. Because I've... I now understand that the existence of space in many senses of the word, you know. Mm. Yeah. I mean, and that sounds really helpful. That sounds helpful is a great word. That sounds like something so helpful to have in our, in our life. Oh yes. And it, I love the way you articulate it. Cause I think my understand, my default understanding is okay. If I meditate, I'm not going to have that fish shaking impulse. No, but that's, that's not, not actually that's the not experience the case at all for me. No. No. It's still there. 
And what the practice is bringing is an ability to see right. and to allow, right. and then probably sometimes, <laughs> but not always, do something different. Yep. And in wow. a way, it gives you space. Yeah, space. Let you kind of sit back. Once or twice, I felt like a spectator while I'm mm, driving, Yeah, which is good. That, I mean, that strikes me as something that would be really helpful in, in today's world. Oh, yes. Well, That's... despite all the misery in the world and despite all the upheaval here in Canada, you know, and all of the bad behavior that's going on for various reasons, this is one of the happiest periods of my life. Hmm. And for sure, one of the main, not the only reason, but one of the main reasons is what I have to call the spiritual resources and I can't really explain that further that I've gained from continuing meditating. Yeah. Well, I think it's a beautiful term, spiritual resources. I think about that a lot. And I, I do, you know, for me to, to piggyback on your words, I find that I deeply value the resourcefulness that meditation opens up for me, which includes relaxation. Yep. Yeah. Uh, a, a space in my internal chatter, right? The ability to see impulse and right. do something different. That's right. To observe it rather than feel it. Then, you might say. Yeah, yeah. Those yeah. to me are uh, huge spiritual resources and very helpful spiritual resources. Oh, sure. It makes all the difference. Yeah. Otherwise, I'm sure I'd be as miserable as many other people are right now. So, you know, you've talked really beautifully about, um, you know, how meditation and daily life affect one another. You know, you, you've, you've given a great overview. You've talked about the specificity, about your reactivity that comes up when you're driving. Um, you know, would you have any tips for people, you know, like uh, anyone who's listening who might be interested in bringing meditation and daily life more closer together? Would you have any tips in that regard? Um, yeah, uh, I'm an amateur musician. My teacher was the trumpet professor at UVic, who used to be co-principal in the New York Philharmonic. And every musician knows that there's only one way you can become a good musician. You have to practice, practice, and practice some more. Musicians call it woodshedding from the idea of going out to the woodshed because you're going to make awful noises. It's the same with meditation. Reading about it just won't do it. Talking mm -hmm. about it won't do it. It's only five minutes a day at the beginning, and then it rises slowly to 45. But one of Lou Ranger, my teacher's teacher, said to him, missing a day's practice is like committing suicide. Mm. So you got to do it. <laughs> you got to do it. You got to do it and keep doing it. There's no way around it. Yeah. I think sometimes even I forget that, right? Oh, we all do. I mean, yeah. gee, it's a nasty thing to remember. I often say to people, you know, and, and sometimes it's treated that I'm being facetious um, or pessimistic, but I feel like it's... Uh, you know, kind of a realistic warning for all of us or a reminder for all of us that I think the easiest thing in the world to do is not meditate. It's not a spectator sport. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I do not know why it's the case. Maybe it's because it's not a spectator sport, but it's so easy to not meditate. Yes. Yes. So, 
So uh, tip number one would be to practice woodshed. Yes. Yeah. And tip number two is I always practice at the same time, right after breakfast. Mm-hmm. So it becomes habitual. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What about those of us who can't practice at the same time? You know, those of us, what would you suggest in that case? Um, well, try to have it two different times that you practice at one or the other to have the number of different times as small as possible. Mm-hmm. Also, of course, especially for a beginner, it's really important to be able to go into a room and shut the door and not have people bang on the door. And it's very important to have all your telephone calls held, et cetera, et cetera. It's very important to leave your iPhone somewhere else, far mm-hmm. away, et cetera, et cetera. So you've really got to get to a situation where you could be uninterrupted. Now, eventually, you know, uh, in the Hindu world, people who are really, really on their way to becoming gurus are expected to sit on a busy street corner in Bombay and meditate. But that's not for the rest of us, you know, especially beginning. We have to we have to we have to have peace and quiet and no interruptions. I sometimes wonder if whether meditation in the modern world has flipped that equation a little bit. Whether to some extent we do start on the street corner, meaning, you know, we have, I think what you're talking about is, is, is really important to acknowledge, try and facilitate an optimal environment. And yet still there's going to be the leaf blower outside the door. Oh yeah. There's going to be someone knocking saying, this is really important. Oh, in that case, the only advice I can offer is make friends with it. Don't get angry. Don't try to pretend it isn't happening. Just kind of bring it into your life and say, well, isn't that nice? That's just part of life. Yeah, that's really helpful. I mean, I know I'm a veteran of of trying to fight those sort of things as distractions, and it doesn't go very well. No, it goes nowhere good. If it's a wrestling match, I'm always taken to the mat by that, by that fight. Yeah. So just make friends with it. Same thing with pain. Make friends with it. Make friends with the leaf blower, make friends with the the pinging phone that you forgot to put on uh, silent mode. Yeah. Yeah. Anything unpleasant in your life, don't try to, you know, run away from it. Don't get at it. Don't get bad at it. You'll just make it worse. Yeah. Make friends with it. What we cannot change, we must accept. (laughs) Any other tips? No, I don't think so. That's about it for me. Yeah. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back to the beginning then. You know, what about curiosity? What would you say about, I mean, again, I feel like listening to you, curiosity has been one of the recurring threads in um, both overtly and covertly in what you're describing. Um, in terms of, you know, listeners working to bring meditation and daily living more closely together for themselves, what kind of role do you think curiosity would play in that? Well, when you see something happening in daily life, rather than first pigeonholing it and then attaching kind of prejudices or thoughts to it, if you can just say, oh, isn't that interesting? Is that kind of an, is that, let's call that a mantra. Is that mantra an everyday way for you to bring a little bit of openness, a little bit of space, a little bit of possibility? Oh, yes. Not as often as I would like. No. As often I don't think of it. I get caught up in it. But that it's a big help. It really is. So let's go. Let's flesh this out. Let's go back to the car example. So you're driving. Someone yeah. cuts you off. 
up yeah. comes the fist shaking yeah. impulse. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Exactly. Look what I'm doing. Just Isn't like that an interesting. Ape. <laughs> Except worse than an ape, an ape would never do that. <laughs> Which is, I love that because it acknowledges what is happening. So it doesn't insist that things be anything other than what they are. That's it right. acknowledges what's happening. And then rather than grabbing onto it, it just allows a whole lot, a lot of room around it. Exactly. Isn't that Space. interesting? Space it doesn't say that it's... Sense. Yeah, it doesn't say that it's good. It doesn't say that yeah. it's bad. It doesn't say that it shouldn't be happening or it should be happening right. more. Isn't right. that interesting? And that's the path to getting to be able to feel like a spectator. Hmm. Yeah. So might that be the key mantra in bringing? Yep. Um, For sure. The the the. The spiritual resources of, I love that phrase, the spiritual resources of meditation practice sure. into the everyday world. Absolutely. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, absolutely. Isn't and I need to do it more than I do. I don't think of it as much as I ought to. Well, I think we all, I think that's the case for all of us. I think one of the things in my experience that's most difficult in being a, a meditation practitioner, a regular practitioner is having some familiarity with the possibilities and constantly falling short. Yeah, that's it, right. I, yeah, I think it's a, a big part of the, the spiritual journey, the meditative journey that maybe that's doesn't right. get talked about that's right. a lot, but we're yep. constantly falling short. Absolutely. No question about it. Yep. Isn't that interesting? Just part of the deal. <laughs> well, thank you very much for being here today. Eric. Thank you. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Yeah. And thank you as always to everyone who's listening. If you want to learn a little bit more about uh, my work, helping us bring meditation to life, please visit my website at neilmckinley.com. And if you're so inclined, consider signing up for my newsletter, which is a monthly source of teachings and updates and special offers and a reminder when it arrives that meditation can actually have a place, play a role in our everyday lives. In the meantime, take care and be well, and let's keep doing this work together. Let's keep bringing meditation to life.